Hi, this is Norman Horn, founder of LCI. We are excited to announce that the LCI team is going to be attending Freedom Fest this July 13th through 16th in Las Vegas, Nevada. We're going to have an exhibitor booth and a breakout session where we will be talking with everybody we can about how to make the Christian case for a free society. Find out more about LCI's participation at Freedom Fest by going to libertarianchristians.com slash events. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I am your host, Doug Stewart, and joined with me today is Dr. Norman Horn. Hey, Norman. Hey, Doug. Good to be back. Yeah, it's always fun to have these conversations because whether we are on the same train of thought or whether we're thinking differently, we always end up making it fun. So, yeah, this is always great. I like the way you said that. You just, fun? It was always fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's always fun. It's always fun. See, we're already (laughs) off to a good start. So we get questions frequently, and we actually have a whole other podcast called Faith Seeking Freedom Podcast that is succinct answers to a lot of the questions that people ask us. And we do have that over there. But we felt like, in some ways, this one deserved a little bit more long-form discussion because at least I felt that if we didn't do some long-form explanation, it can be very easy to be misunderstood or misinterpreted or, you know, sometimes you don't say quite enough. And if you just added that little bit, you could assure people that you weren't going in a certain direction that they were afraid you might be, that you could be going in. So in other words, you can sometimes say too little if people don't have a further context of why you're saying what you're saying. And so the backstory to this actually, and here's the topic, if you already tapped on this to listen to, you know what we're going to talk about. We're talking about cops and whether or not libertarians should like or hate or something in between. What is the relationship between a libertarian who believes in a free society to law enforcement or to cops, okay? And here's the backstory to this. We actually recorded this episode. The day before, the night before, we learned a lot of information about the Uvalde police kerfuffle is the lightest way to say it, right? That's the most (laughs) congenial way of putting it. We were both pretty happy with our answers, but it just felt like it was incomplete and poorly timed if we didn't also just kind of talk about what we've learned since then. And also shore up a few of the misunderstood things about the nature of the police force. I mean, there's a lot of assumptions that people believe that they're there to protect and serve, and that may be the attitude of certain cops and so forth, but it's not constitutionally required is one of those things. So the backstory is, we were like, yeah, this is just bad timing. And thankfully, it was, you know, only an hour of our time recording. And so we're like, hey, let's come back and record this. So It's been about a month since then. So there's been plenty of details to come out in that particular instance about the shooting in Uvalde. And we're not going to talk specifically about that. That's not what is driving this. It is just what's driving the change in how we are releasing this conversation. But the question that we got was from somebody who felt like a lot of libertarians, a lot of libertarian podcasters, it just seems like they hate cops and they have nothing good to say about cops. And, you know, I had a conversation with the person And I was like, I don't really think the word hate's the right word. And the question really came down to, are there any good cops? Is there such a thing as a good cop? 
or cops just inherently immoral and therefore not good people? And so that's kind of where the question, you know, is very, hey, here's my question. I want to hear what you have to say. That person, you know, we told them we'd, we'd want to record a podcast episode to have a you know longer form. He's like, yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to hear what you have to say. And he likes what everything else we do. And he just kind of wanted to get our take on it. So Norm, I'll let you kind of respond initially to what I've just said and your initial thoughts. Maybe first thing we should do, though, is can we read like the exact text of the question that he asked again? Because that's probably oh, sure. apropos here. Yeah, that's not a problem. It is actually shortened because it was a much longer form email, but the succinct version is essentially this. And I am reading a quote, okay, but it's, you know, there's ellipses in a few of these places. As a retired cop, I am struggling with the fact that so many libertarians hate me because I was a cop. And he names a few podcasters. If you agree with these thinkers, well, then end of discussion for me. Like he's just basically saying he's going to write us off if that's where we are. However, if you don't agree, can you please help me with this point of view? Can you provide me with ideas to counter this sentiment? As a Christian, I find this hate troubling. So let me ask you this. And oh, this is okay. So let me ask you this. That was the point at which he said after I was saying something along the lines of like, well, hate's not really the right word. And he was kind of saying, okay, that's fine. Let's not talk about it in terms of hate. Let me ask you this. Do you believe there are good cops or do you believe cops are inherently immoral and therefore are not good people? So this is a guy named Ron who was willing to let everyone else know his first name. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack in this series of kind of statements and questions and assertions and all that. I do want to begin with the terminology that's kind of thrown out there about hate. It's very easy to both find and it's very easy to even say, you know, people say, you know, again, this is other people say like, I hate cops or something to that effect, right? People say that. And you'll hear libertarian podcasts. But you know, like, is that hate in the biblical sense? Like God says, I hate those who do evil? Or is that the way that we should be thinking about it? Or do we say that in the same way, like, I hate sin? Or is it more akin to, I hate ice cream? What kind of meaning are we throwing behind the word And it could be at the level of like an actual white supremacist saying they hate black people. Like it could get to that level. That's one extreme, right? But I think that's what you have to like parse out. What do we mean when we even say something like that? And I mean, I'm not saying you should or that I would say such a thing. I would think that I could be a little more nuanced in my descriptions of around cops and their activities than just saying, well, I hate cops. Mm. There's a lot that I dislike about what cops do from really, uh, honestly, from beginning to end. Especially when they pull me over. Yeah, I mean, they're revenue officers so much of the time anyway. That's actually like, Mm. and you know, I have a relative, I will say, who's a rather engaged in the legal profession. And by the way, it's not a libertarian at all who would say that like they're just basically revenue officers most of the time. Mm. And he himself has seen throughout his legal career just a massive amount of people who you would say are just normal cops doing their thing who are also abusing their position in various ways. And I think that if we're going to start parsing this out, we need to understand like what language are we bringing to bear? Why are we bringing it to bear? And then analyzing in a more dispassionate way the libertarian perspective about what policing is all about. Okay, Okay, so So that's kind of where I would start it with. Yeah, well, and I think that's a really good place to start. It also, 
the key word here, as I read Ron's email, is can you provide me with ideas to counter this sentiment? But I think he also wants to know, like, well, where does this even come from? Like, it might be worthy of an explanation as to be like, and you kind of hinted at it. There's things that cops do that are that they're technically allowed to do that are actually unethical or immoral, and they're still legally allowed to do it. So maybe there's a deeper conversation to be had when we like, why do people even say such things at all? Like, what is it about yeah. cops? Like, my goodness, aren't libertarians about legal law and order? You know, law yeah. and order. I mean, that's actually its own sort of you know phrase that means something in, in a certain way. But, you know, aren't we all about having good laws and justice and, you know, truth and justice and all those things? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, where do, you, where do you even begin? I mean, there's so much to be said about this just from a purely libertarian perspective. Like, so let's just kind of maybe start with, in the series of things that I kind of threw out at the end there, let's go in reverse order. So let's kind of think about, in a dispassionate way, what is the libertarian analysis of policing? Well, if we are arguing for the libertarian position, that is that the non-aggression principle, that we are not to initiate aggression against people, that it's a, <laughs> aggression is unjustified, that's the whole point of the nap, right? That the provision of service such as this that is on the back of taxation itself means that even if it's a worthwhile service, that it's being provided for in a potentially evil manner. So there's one reason why we would say from the outset that the libertarian position on policing is that because it is being provided for via non-voluntary means, that there is something inherently problematic from the outset. So there's a reason perhaps to distrust such an organization, which is getting all of its money through effective extortion, which is taxation. I want to point out at this stage, in the analysis, we're not saying anything about the individual police officers yeah. themselves. Yeah, so that's, this is not saying anything about individuals, yeah. You're talking about the way the system is structured and there will obviously be people in this structure. Yeah. Even good intention people. So I just want to make that point right. on top of it. Sorry for interrupting there, but it's like, it's really important that we're not talking about the people here. Yeah. Because we'll get to that. But, you know, they're agents of the state at this point. So if you have a reason inherently that you distrust politicians and bureaucrats in general, well, guess what? These are those people too. So there is a mm. reason inherently from the libertarian point of view to at the very least have a strong distrust of the individuals who both benefit from and interact within the system that exists that is funded by extortion and taxes. Okay? So like, that is the root of the problem. But it gets worse because these are people who also have behind them a force of law that gives them essentially power to initiate varying additional forms of aggression upon you. And even though they do purportedly exist to protect rights and property and so on, do they do so effectively? So then you could say like, well, okay, Let's take that minarchist point of view for a second. If there is a function of the state in order to just provide for provision of law and security in this respect, do they actually accomplish it? And I would say over and over and over again, especially in the last 20 years, especially since I have been more observant of these sorts of things, I think the answer is that, like, well, there certainly are some decent ones out there but there's so much 
problems, corruption, and evil doing that occurs, that it should definitely give one pause as to whether or not that they should give credence to this type of organization in the first place. Mm. I mean, if they were so good at what they do, why do people continue to hire private security? If they were so good at what they do, I mean, why do we, why do we see them repeatedly fail to protect the most vulnerable among us, like schools? I mean, Uvalde should have been, is a huge eye-opener for people who think that like the thin blue line needs to be protected. They seem to only be interested in protecting themselves at times. Gone is the day of the Dick Van Dyke community cop. And if what we had were the Dick Van Dyke community cops, maybe we'd be okay with this. But that's not what we got. You know, not anymore. And these sorts of things just really, really color the lens by which even the good stuff that could be occurring (laughs) is going to be viewed. It's akin to like the way we view most politicians. Even people, isn't it kind of like, you know, Everybody thinks that Congress is doing a terrible job, but they think their own representative is great. It's like, is that the problem here? (laughs) I'm serious. Like, in what way at this point are we to view these agents of the state, cops, as fundamentally different than politicians at this point? I'm not really sure what it is anymore. I think I could come up with a possible defense here and maybe we could just kind of toss this out because I like to give people the benefit of the doubt as much as possible without being too like, you know, throwing shade on their motives. But I would say that you probably have people who are relatively in a local setting or a city setting, even a large city setting who, who know that, you know, there needs to be some form of law enforcement. Okay. Sure. You know, the ethics of that libertarian anarchist socialist or not is another conversation. But like, they do believe there needs to be some sort of law and order and they believe that they have some sense of responsibility or some sense of just interest in helping maintain that, okay? Which, again, helping maintain law and order from the state which is committing aggression is inherently problematic on the one hand. But on the other hand, these people are probably people who just like literally do have genuine concern about the safety and well-being and protection of their... I wouldn't say neighbor, but neighbors or community, right? So these are people who decide, hey, I want to sign up and protect and serve, which, by the way, is really just a motto. It's not some sort of legal phrase, okay? It it actually began as a public relations motto from the Los Angeles Police Department. (laughs) And in a conversation I read recently, so I haven't vetted this, but I read this. It was basically very, very much promoted after the Rodney King situation in the 90s. I think it was 90. Was it 87? I feel like it's late 80s, early 90s. I was young. Yeah, something. it's about there, yeah. So it was after that 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 became a big deal because, you know, it was about PR, okay? So even so, there are plenty of people, and I want people like this in my community to where if I'm going to be in harm, I want them to be able to help stand up for my rights, right? Or help protect me if that's possible. Or, you know, <laughs> defend me against bullies or whatever it might be. Now, that doesn't mean that the police force is the only way or the best way or even the most you know, effective Uh, way to get that done. But I do want human beings in my community like that. Okay, that's fine with me. What I don't want are human beings that have the ability to threaten, coerce, or otherwise simply just grill me on things that they suspect me of doing wrong, right? But, you know, kind of go to your point, what's the reason why, you know, the explanation as to why we would trust these people over other agents of the state? Well, politicians are inherently, hey, I'm going to, you know, make myself look good to you so that you can vote for me. And I'm going to make you think that I'm doing good things for you. And 
they're already shady, you know, for the most part. With cops, I don't know. I feel like in some ways it's like, it's very easy to see them as more admirable than a politician. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just like saying that's what I think the average person is doing. It's like, well, I mean, this guy just wants to make sure people are safe. I think that the average person needs to realistically look at the results. Oh, well, yeah, we haven't even gotten to the results. I mean, especially after Uvalde and after the public school shooting that occurred in Florida a couple of years ago. I mean, and this yeah. happens, oh, and after Ferguson. This is not after, the first time. This is not an outlier. Yeah, these aren't outliers anymore. Yeah. And people are, I mean, repeatedly over and over again doing this. And it just, I mean, yeah. you, you have to kind of ask yourselves, like, is what they're normally putting out there, is that the facade? Kind of like the politicians there. Is this yeah, the I reality mean, it, anymore? It could be. I would say that somebody who is disliking the way this conversation might be going in their minds would be that they'd say, but there's plenty of stories out there where there are cops who do this. Just like there are stories out there where there's a good guy with a gun stopping a mass shooting, right? Like there are the counter examples, which means for us, we need to come up with, well, is this a systemic problem? And the outliers are the times where it's acts of heroism that, you know, end up becoming stories for movies. Or is that normal? And these are the outliers. Because it yep. doesn't seem like, and this is why we re-recorded this episode, it's like, it's yeah. becoming increasingly difficult to identify these as outliers anymore. Yeah, well, and furthermore, you know, okay, let's look at the types of things that are just overlooked on a just a regular, regular, regular basis. Asset forfeiture. Mm. Huge, huge issue. And it is not addressed hardly at all. It's, and this used to be one of the biggest, you know, scandals in public life in America, and yet it is swept under the rug year after year after year. To his unending credit, Mr. David Simpson in Texas tried to bring this to the forefront, incidentally, about you know eight or 10 years ago now in the Texas legislature, and got excoriated for it, you know, because, well, you know, you attack the thin blue line, David, and that is a line you do not cross. And if you're unaware of what asset forfeiture is, well, go look it up. But I mean, in basics, it's like the basic thesis of it is that, oh, well, you know, if the police suspect you of doing something wrong, then they can basically seize whatever is on your person at the time. And basically, you have to go to court in order to get it back. And it is one of the only, it's one of the few times in American court system, you know, stuff that goes on where it is literally, okay, the case is actually, by the way, when when these cases go down, the case is, you know, the police versus the thing that they took. It's not against the person. It's against the thing that they took. And then you have to go, it's a huge process to try and get it back. And this is just a way in which millions of dollars in equipment come into the possession of police year after year after year after year. And it just, this stuff gets just swept under the rug by the news. What actually happens to the stuff? The police keep it. But what do they do? How can I mean, okay, so fine. So they have a piece of property from I actually don't know as much about this, so you can enlighten me as well as our listeners. They find something it's on your really like bounty hunting. Yeah, but like what do they do? They just auction stuff off or no, or they keep it. stuff off or they, they literally keep it. They will literally keep and just distribute it to their people. I mean, this is how these guys get cars or trucks or money or legally owned firearms, all sorts of stuff. Like you can find all sorts of evidence. I mean, this is everywhere. Well, as long as I give my dog away and don't shoot it, I mean, 
So you just that, rehomed that them. A, that might have been a sorry cheap shot, but well, um, but that's. But, well, I mean, I, could, I mean, but besides, you know, asset forfeiture, that also leads into the next thing, which is qualified immunity. Mm. So when these people who have the ability to take your stuff detain you to screw you over, I mean, of course, you know, if you get an arrest on your record and you have to, like, you could be blackballed for years in various types of job interviews and whatnot. Like, this is why it's so harrowing to be involved with any police action at any time. Because if something doesn't go your way, like, you can get screwed. Yeah. (laughs) And it's even worse, quite frankly, if you're in a position where, like, it's well known that in certain areas, if you're an African-American, you're going to get even worse treatment. And, I mean, like, (laughs) I know this from accounts from personal friends who can tell you all sorts. The minister, former minister at my congregation has noted when he would go around and drive into lower income areas or something, he'd make sure to like dress up in a suit so that if he got stopped, which he has in the past, that he would have an easier chance of getting out of that less accosted. Just because he'd look better. He was more well-dressed. And it was because he was black. You know, so these things happen. And this is just in St. Louis, let alone, you know, elsewhere in the world. Or in the United mm. States. So, yeah, you're in a flyover city. Yeah, I know, right? Mm. Imagine if you were in the real, the, you know, the coastal elite cities where, you know, they're more enlightened. Yeah, more, more well enlightened. Yeah. So, like, a, you know, Seattle or something, you know. <laughs> Sorry, that was, a, that was a slight digression. Well, I mean, honestly, it's one area in my life where, yes, I completely agree that it is that targeting black people or in certain neighborhoods, black people, or, you know, there's been all kinds of profiling done illegitimately. And maybe even if it is legitimate, that doesn't take away that it happens, right? But the profiling that happens is totally, you know, absurd and also, you know, not fair. But I'm a white guy. I don't break the law that I'm aware of. And yet anytime... Oh, don't you worry. You can, they can find a way. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I know. Well, that's the thing. It's like, I know that that's a possibility. So like, yeah. other than the typical, everybody slows down when they see a cop on the side of the road, because even if they're going the speed limit, like it's like your instincts do that. But like, I don't believe, to my knowledge, I don't believe that people's reactions to the police in other countries like the Nordic countries, they're not like that. Something about the nature of the police force in the United States is such that we need to be fearful of them. And that is not, as a cultural situation, I'm not sure that's really good. That's not healthy. When I'm perfectly driving the speed limit, why is it still my instinct to slow down when there's law enforcement? Or why is it my instinct to get tense when I'm near a cop who, you know, for all intents and purposes, is just in the same store I am or nearby where I am, why should I be tense and afraid that like I might do something wrong and therefore I might get, you know, like slammed up against a car and like I didn't even know what I did wrong, which by the way has happened not to me but to other people. Like they're just like, oh. "Wait, I don't know what I'm doing." Like all those kinds of things. Like we can say that, you know, so and so had a counter I think it was George Floyd, I think had a counterfeit 20 or that somebody was illegally selling cigarettes and we could say, "Oh, minor infractions and those are terrible aggressions." that the police do over minor infractions, but like they create and instill in us a fear that is unhealthy for a society. And I'm a person who is a pretty law-abiding person and I get a little bit fearful. I have no reason 
you know, at least when you, if you were to ask a critical race theorist, I have no reason to be afraid of a cop because I'm white. But, <laughs> but I am, okay? Well, look, That's I mean, lived I, almost experience. Got, I almost got arrested, what? I mean, now it's been over a decade, but when I was in grad school, I nearly got arrested because I was outside of a free speech zone on a university campus trying to film somebody else getting yeah, arrested. that's right. Yeah. Because they were handing out flyers to a line that was trying to go in and see, eventually see, you know, the President Obama speak. I mean, come on. That's ridiculous. And that's not appropriate action anytime, let alone, you know, in a freaking free speech zone. Good Lord. I mean, yeah. So I think that there's something to be said for, okay, these guys are agents of the state from the beginning. They should be underneath the hermeneutic of suspicion from the outset. You know, not only that, they're an agent of the state that actually is in many respects worse than various types of bureaucrats because they have authority to essentially up the level of aggression against you. Yeah, if Rand Paul took your property, he'd be brought, he'd be hauled before a court and told you can't do that. Yeah, yeah, but they have a means of doing so. And that's kind of the next thing is that that police are well known to use various types of legal structures and tactics in order to get away with what no other person is legally entitled to in the United States. You know, things like asset forfeiture and have qualified immunity, you know, and to have the mythos and persona around, you know, the cop itself, that they do hold this sort of measure of reverence and respect built up around them, you know, by the state. Yeah, let alone the yeah. fact that they're not actually required legally in their own way to do that which we think they're supposed to do, which is to protect us from harm. And it's actually demonstrable that they don't do it. Mm. And, you know, yeah. with things like, as we've seen with Uvalde and whatnot. So it's kind of like, do you trust used car salesmen? No. No. Not really. Well, not unless you really know I, them I, well. Okay, well, the one that I trust, I really, really know well. Yeah, if you know them really well, and I know some good cops. I'm not going to name them because obviously that's not the right thing to do here. I've known some good ones and I will literally, like they're, they're guys that I would call up, but they know where I stand though and they know how this is. <laughs> hey everyone, if you're like me, you listen to a lot of podcasts by producers and creators who have a listener support model. Sometimes people call it the Patreon model where they ask listeners to give them money to keep the podcast going because they want a list of supporters. And there's certain benefits to doing that. They offer, you know, free episodes ahead of time or bonus content and so forth. LCI has taken a different approach because we're a 501c3 nonprofit. We operate solely on the donations of those who are generous and love what we do. Now, we are totally appreciative of the fact that we have a growing audience and everybody's sharing our content. But if you'd like to be one of the people who donate to the Libertarian Christian Institute because we're a nonprofit, it's actually tax deductible. You can do that at libertarianchristians.com slash donate. You can donate in a number of ways, some of which incur fees for us and some of which do not. And you can either choose to pay those fees or not. However you want to do it, any small amount actually helps. We actually do encourage people to sign up for some sort of monthly contribution. So that gives us a better sense of how things are going to go each month through the year. So even if it's as little as five, 10 bucks a month, that really helps us a lot. You know, that really adds up when more and more people do it. So we appreciate all of your support, whether it's sharing, liking, reviewing, and doing all that. But we, of course, appreciate an actual financial donation to the Libertarian Christian Institute. Well, let's go down the conversation about the person now, because after hearing all of this 20, 30 minutes of what we've been talking about here, it seems like we are more about the system 
and the people in those positions as agents, either of the state or the local municipalities or local, I want to use the word state in a broad sense here. So any sort of government agent that is problematic as that agent. So what does that mean for an individual who truly has a desire to do what cops in their best senses as agents of the state, you know, the cops that help people, the ones that actually stop or help prevent crime, okay? What does it say for the person who actually wants to belong to that kind of being a police officer? Or the person who actually was? I mean, the person here, Ron, he's, he was a retired cop. And I have every reason to believe Ron was a good guy. Yeah, I don't sure. know him for sure. But, you know, I have every reason to assume he was a good guy. He loves his... He probably loves his country in the sense that he, like, loves his neighbor. He probably became a cop and served in a way that he felt like he was, you know, serving his community well. I can't imagine he would say he did everything perfectly or that his department did everything perfectly or that there's no room for changing laws. So these are, I would say there are a lot of good people who are cops, but the question that it gets kind of muddled when I think about it, is there such a thing as a good cop? Okay, well, you know, you're right. Gone are the days of, I think you meant Andy Griffiths when you said Dick Van Dyke, but oh, well, gone okay. are the days My of bad. the, of. no, it's fine, but I knew what you meant. <laughs> the shows on that we watched on Nick at Night. Yeah. That kind of idea of what does it mean to have a sheriff and a cop and, you know. The question, is there such a thing as a good cop, is like, it's kind of an obvious yes. Like, all I need to say is that, well, I know a good cop, so at least in my right, right. sense. Well, I, yes, I say, I've yeah. seen it done. <laughs> so that's like, that's not the problem, though. It's not, right. that's not really like the crux of the question that is within the purview of like libertarian philosophy and analysis here. Because that, like, that's beside the point on some level. Do you think that, let's get meta for just a second. Do you think that that question is phrased, not deliberately by Ron, but like phrased in such a way where it's difficult to answer it without ticking somebody off either side? In some respects, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the problem with the language of behind just saying, you know, that somebody says, quote, quote, I hate cops or something like that. It's like, well, what do you mean uh, by yeah, that? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, it's non-usefully ambiguous anymore. Gotcha, at that okay. Point. So there are human beings who happen to be cops who are great persons. Yeah. yeah, but that's kind of beside the point. Okay. The more important thing that we're getting at here is what does the police represent and how do we analyze that in the context of both our present situation and dispassionate libertarian theory? That's really the crux of what's going down. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, to wit, I think that, you know, we've, covered a bunch. We didn't even approach some things we probably could have talked about, like, you know, why is it that police, you know, continue to enforce bad laws, especially those things like prohibition that shouldn't exist and whatnot. And then there's all sorts of things that we could get at there. Like, and then we didn't really even get into some of the details about things like, well, comparatively to the Andy Griffith style cop, now we have the warrior cop. For instance, Uvalde was mm. only months before bragging about they had multi-million dollar grants to make sure that every one of their cops in this town, which is like less than 25,000 people, but every cop now has body armor. What? I mean, okay, they need a multi-million dollar grant for that. And that's what we have. And then they didn't even accomplish which they should have been, which is protecting children? Really? I mean, come on. <laughs> come on, man. You know, <laughs> You know, in the reflection of the Uvalde thing, you know, obviously there's a lot of memes going on, you know, and people, you know, mocking the 
cowardice of some of them. And and again, yeah. I don't want to say that every individual in that situation was being a coward. That's probably not fair, even though that's probably not off the mark. Um, <laughs> at, at the, give no quarter on that one, man. Don't even mitigate yeah, that. Yeah, well... <laughs> So, well, but I don't want to be like every single one of them were. I mean, there there could have been sort of like I was following orders even though I wanted to go in kind of situations going on. I didn't read all the reports. Here's my point. There is a reason why there are no movements that are basically F the fire department. Yeah. Because they do not have a reputation for yeah. not going into burning buildings. Yeah. Okay. And again, I realize that at some point they don't send a fireman into a burning building. I mean, there's probably protocols here that like deal with that situation, right? But they do not have that reputation. And there is something to be said for the fact that there is a reputation that cops are like this. And it's not propaganda. There's enough propaganda in the opposite direction that it's very, very difficult to believe that it's like just ill-suited sentiment against cops. Oh, people just don't like cops because, you know, everybody doesn't like to obey the law. It's nothing like that. Like, there is a reputation that over the decades and maybe even longer that there has been a development of a reputation that cops have. And, you know, that's a different reputation and it's not one that people want. I mean, they're also the reputation that, you know, there are good cops and, you know, that these are people who serve their country. I mean, there is that. But like I said, there's no movement that says, oh, the fire department, oh my goodness, we got to really reform them and defund the fire departments. And like, none of that's happening. And, you know, maybe that's not an entirely fair comparison, but it does go to show that sentiment about a set of individuals does matter. And even if that sentiment is misplaced, its mere existence is useful for us to evaluate what we think about that topic. And so I honestly would say that it wasn't until probably the past five years that I even began to question, and I've been a libertarian for more than five years, that I even began to question this situation here. I just kind of assumed that like, oh, law and order, keeping people safe, that's what police are for. Sure, I wish we lived in an anarchist society where it was you know, voluntary completely, but this is the world we live in, and so cops are useful in that way. So that's a tough thing to break because, I mean, I was a libertarian for... 10 years before I even began to sort of question that. Yeah, I don't have any further thoughts there. Norm, do you want to, any final words you want to add to this conversation? I think the only thing that I'd want to kind of throw out there just to continue to address our supporters' question is that while we are talking about this in a system kind of way, that it is still possible. I mean, the, you know, we answer the question is there, can there be a good cop? Sure. And that I, want to believe that if I encounter a cop, that I could potentially have some measure of tolerance and trust toward them. The problem is, is that the state in which we live now is not that. And more and more, I have to be suspicious from the outset because of too many negative interactions, too many negative points of data, so that I'm on my toes now when it comes to that. And I think that Anytime I can meet one who I can be convinced is going to be a good guy and is going to be consistently a good guy, great. That is awesome. I'm happy to know that person and support that person. That doesn't mean that I support a system. In the same way that I, you know, even though I am a fan of, I mentioned David Simpson earlier, who is a legislator from the state of Texas. 
or I like, you know, Justin Amash, who was in Congress, or Rand Paul, or Tom Massey, or Ron Paul. <laughs> Ron, yeah, and Ron Paul. You know, I mean, the dude's still on your bumper, dude, right? Yeah. His, 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 his you know. <laughs> That's true. But uh, yeah, so I mean, but even though I can be supportive of those people in their public office, I don't trust that system, you know? So that's the thing is like, nobody gets a special pass because they wear a blue uniform and have a badge. Just like nobody gets a pass if they have senator or representative or president before their names. Mm. You know, they're still held to the same level of moral accountability, you know, and we will judge them by their fruits. All right? So like, that's where I stand on it. And that's just the reality anymore. Yeah. And, you know, I think both you and I are willing to believe that there are, there are ways that this can change to where, you know, let's say by the 20, 30 years, there might be reforms where we are, you know, saying, oh, well, this reputation, this situation has changed such that it's gotten better. But again, you know, all the previous analysis from a libertarian, as you say, dispassionate libertarian perspective certainly do apply. And yeah. I think that's good. Ron, I appreciate your question. It's somewhat, on the one hand, tough to answer. The data and the facts and all those things are kind of easy to come up with and say, hey, here's, here's where we stand. But we are dealing with real people. We are dealing with people who actually are genuinely, you know, care about others. And, you know, it puts this conversation as more than just, you know, a 40-minute episode for us to sort of talk about. And so, yeah. you know, we welcome feedback. We welcome questions for further discussion. You know, oh, we also and recommend... Read, yeah. And go read The Rise of the Warrior Cop by uh, Radley Balco. It's another good resource to... Yeah, there we go. We'll that. put that in the show notes. So, yeah. Norm, thanks for joining me for this conversation. And I'm sure we'll be back to discuss other important topics in the future. Oh, yeah. Sure will. Thanks for having me here. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. 